Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. A.K.A. the Cover 3 Tailgate. Thursdays, a day to get interactive, a day to have a conversation. You in the Cover 3 Tailgate giving us some live questions. And also, those of you who have contributed to the big old bag of mail by leaving us a five-star review. And in that review, putting your question, we do have some questions today where we will be talking about Big 12 possibly rebranding and similarly should we even be calling it the Power 4 anymore Penn State LSU maybe even Billy Napier if we have some time I always love being able to reward those who jumped in early and so the first question comes from Dominic do you other three guys blame Chip for the Boston College job opening since he officially named the coach and carousel closed as of yesterday yes yeah, it's my fault. I jinxed 100%. It is all your fault. I'm sorry about this. Boston <laughs> College fan base should be livid. This thing was, I mean, you, you're the one that opened the door ajar, and now it's wide open. It's all your fault. Yeah, and the, and the dominoes that we might mm-hmm. see from this one. I mean, should we get it out of the way? The most obvious, co- there, there is an obvious coach we need to talk about, right? Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick for Boston College. You heard it here on the Cover 3 podcast first. The man's not working. He's available. He's, you know, got some real estate in the area, a lot of institutional knowledge. I mean, the legacy is still up for debate. I mean, is he the greatest coach ever? Was it Tom Brady meant more or Belichick meant more? What better way to prove it than to win a national championship at Boston College? I will say if Bill Belichick leads Boston College to the national title, game over. Like, that is the GOAT. Hey, but, all right, Danny, I'll throw this to you first. Do you see this, and it might be a combination, but do you see this as uh, Jeff Halfley being the poster boy for larger topics about coaching? Because I do think that in terms of the conversation, that's what we have seen. And, look, some of that is not – you know, totally being overblown because we did have in the first reports, which came from uh, ESPN's Pete Thamel, at least that's where I saw it, uh, source told uh, ESPN, quote, he wants to go coach football again in a league that's all about football, adding, and this is again a source to Pete Thamel, college coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team and transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. Now that is quite damning. Um, do you do you read it that way as well? Yes, but this clearly is confir- confirmation bias for an opinion that I've had for some time. Like I, I've been worried about this, even going back to Kirby Smart, who I think was the first one that really put it on the table. Saban's talked about it as well. But it was either a year or two years ago when Kirby Smart was like, we're going to lose coaches to the NFL if we don't get this figured out. It was well over a year ago. Saban had alluded to it, making a part in the decision factor to to retire. But you're like, well, you kind of see that coming anyway. He's in his 70s. It made more sense. Then Harbaugh, I thought the same thing. Like, he's tired of dealing with the NCAA, but he wants to chase the Vince Lombardi. This is a coach who not only is on the record with some source saying this is why the decision was made, but it's also the first time we've seen a coach go from being a head coach to a coordinator. 
because I put that out after Harbaugh and Saban left. I was like, we're losing a lot of good coaches. And a lot of the response is like, well, there were only 32 jobs. There are a lot more than 32 jobs in the NFL you can sign up for. And Jeff Halfley just proved being a coordinator is one of them. So I, I do th- – I worry about it. I think we're going to lose good quality coaches. Will there be enough to sign up for jobs? 100%. Those guys will make a lot of money. But I do think it could potentially dilute the product. It'll dilute – you know, you'll lose good coaches, good people because they're getting tired of having to deal with the uncertainty. Yeah, I- I don't know if I completely buy that it's the only reason he did it. I think it's a big reason why he did it. And as far as who the source is, um, Pete Thamel went to Syracuse, but he does live in Boston, and he's been pretty tied in with Boston College for a while. So I, I, I don't know who the source could possibly be. But it's just like I, I think that plays a role in it. As Danny, I was talking to you this morning on your show before, you know, earlier this morning, like. Coaches, you talk to them, this is a serious thing, and they mention this a lot. But as I also said, I've, ever since you've ever talked to coaches, there's always something in the sport that they are saying is wrong and needs to be fixed. But I do think we're reaching a breaking point now where there is a lot wrong all at the same time, and there's really – it's a seismic shift both from conference realignment, the money that's coming into the sport, the money that is now you know shifting the dynamic from – the money going to the schools to now the players being more directly involved in that and how they go about it. And the job has changed a lot in a few years. Like you think about it, Halfley's been at Boston college, what four seasons? Let's see like, one. Yes. Four seasons. Correct. There, there was no NIL. There was no one-time transfer. There was none of this stuff when he took the job. All that has changed in just the span of four years. So if you're taking that job at the time, you're not the job you're not, you have now is not the job you took. Things have drastically changed, but I also think there are other factors. One is that Boston College is not paying its coaches on the upper end of Power 5 level, and I think NFL jobs at the coordinator position, the money's going to be either maybe not more than – we don't know for sure because it's a private school, but reports are he's making just under $4 million a year at BC. I would, I would expect his money at Green Bay to be similar to that. Wow. Really? Yeah. And I would also say that there's another thing, too, like Bud talks about this all the time, resetting the clock. Jeff Halfley's on the hot seat, like at BC, and you look at the situation they're going next year, there's a decent chance he would have been fired next season. So I think there are a whole bunch of factors, but I do think that, yes, the things that are going on in this sport are going to drive more coaches who maybe have that off-ramp to an NFL gig. It's going to be a lot easier for them to do that now, and I think there's going to be more interest in them in doing it. And I also think another thing that is worth mentioning is that in the NFL for years – you know, it used to be old dudes, you know, like coaches. Like, you wanted one of the top jobs in the NFL. You had to have been there for 15, 20 years grinding as an assistant before you got that shot. Mike McDonald got hired by the Seahawks yesterday. He's like, what, 36? Mm-hmm. And you've seen that more and more where they're hiring coaches in their 30s. So if you're a 35-year-old coach and you've got a chance to be a head coach somewhere, would you rather do that at the NFL level where you don't have to deal with all this stuff? Or do you want to go do it at a college level where you're going to have to be working, you know, 24 hours a day pretty much while you also have a young family at home i think for obvious reasons the nfl is going to be a more attractive option yeah i think this is the wrong guy i think that you i think that there are really good points about the coaching profession in college i just think that there is an a an overexertion of tying this to jeff halfley's decision because as you mentioned, Jeff Halfley going into the 2023 season was in a, you, you got to make a bowl, bud. And look, he did. He guided the Eagles to the Fenway Bowl. Uh, they got a win there. They went seven and six. But do we remember the margins for this team? It was 31-28, 27-24, 27-24, 21-14, 17-10. I, mean, I mean, granted, close loss to Florida State. There were close margins on the losing side as well. But Boston College reached the point that Jeff Halfley, by you know a lot of assumptions, needed to reach in order to keep his job. And it was just skating by in mm-hmm. these one possession games with these close wins. And you know what else was on the was on that uh, last year? A non-conference schedule that was Yukon, Holy Cross, and Army and yeah. Northern Illinois. It was arguably, the uh, most manageable non-conference schedule in the entire ACC. Now, Michigan State cycles on. Uh Uh-oh. 
And we've got an ACC where when you look at the schools they've added, like Stanford and Cal, I don't know, but SMU is pushing you down in the pecking order when you join the league. To me, this is about a coach who, by the way, NFL assistant from 2012 to 2018 with multiple Mm -hmm. stops. To me, he showed up in my world as a like quote unquote star on the rise in the industry with NFL coaches being impressed with what he did. And when he takes that Ohio State job, that is the book on Jeff Halfley. I I think it is a former NFL assistant going back to something that he knows. And like you mentioned, resetting the clock after holding down a very, very tenuous situation uh, there in Boston College in terms of what his future would be, what the Eagles are going to be able to accomplish in 2024. This is the other thing. Jeff Halfley's 44. Mm -hmm. He's old. You know, like he looks so, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. Come on. We, but we are talking about him like he's one of these 36 year old up and comers. You know, I I think he's looking at it. I think being the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers is a faster chance to an NFL head coaching job than anything he would have had at the college level. And I think that he probably made a, a career decision that he thinks is best for him and his family especially because a lot of people considered like the green Bay defense last year to be the one thing that really held them back. So if that defense improves, he's going to get a lot of credit for that. It's good. And I mean, his defenses at Ohio state were very good. Like you look at some of the defensive backs he helped produce while he was there. If he turns that around, yeah, he's, he's got a path to being an NFL head coach. Uh, maybe Kirby smart was mentioning losing coaches. Cause he lost Todd Munkin to the NFL where he's crushing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this also is kind of letting the market, determine what we deem as the top tier schools because, and and it kind of goes to the conversation we've had about group of five head coaches when they have two, you know, go to University of Alabama and they go to be coordinators. Those are perceived or always have been perceived as lesser jobs, but now we're seeing, okay, they want to go to a a top tier job because that's the upper echelon of college football. I think clearly Boston college is not in that upper tier of, of college football. So it's a lot easier to say, you know what? I don't know if we're going to be included in the future here. I don't know what the long-term play is, but it's it's just as relevant or impressive on a resume to be the defensive coordinator of an NFL team as it is to be another year of a six and six, you know, seven and five season at Boston College. I think it's a combination of a lot of factors. Right. right? I mean, there's no one reason. I think all of us have really good points that we're putting forward. I think all of them came to play in this decision. Mm-hmm. We, exactly. Um when we draw the line for what we think the big breakaway is going to be, we don't put Boston college on the other side of the line with some of those other schools. And that's just a judgment, not on their history, which is fantastic. My judgment is on investment. You know, like when, when you look at how much each, each of these schools are putting into their football program, Boston college is playing a very different game than Florida state and Clemson, you know? And so, when we up the ante, so to speak, when 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 we do the buy-in, I mean, Danny's going to be in Las Vegas, and he's going to get stuck with some surcharges at those blackjack tables. Okay, <laughs> they know they know the Super Bowls in town. The, the men's are running up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good luck trying to not find a fifty-dollar table. They're all going to be triple digits. It's all going to be yeah. hundred-dollar minimums. And I, think I have eight days. I have to manage eight <laughs> days. Danny, the day trader, has to use really good. <laughs> Wealth distribution. I got to manage the situation. That daily limit's going to be tight. Yeah. So I think that the the big breakaway that we look at, you know, whether you think it's three, four, five years down the line, whatever. Like to me, some of it's going to be self sorting by just raising the buy in. You know, and and Boston College is not uh, a school. So as we spin this forward, before we uh, continue to jump into some of these mailbag questions, so what does Boston College do now? You want to just hear some names? I can, I can oh, rattle some off. I like Danny's idea earlier today. I said, well, too. You guys had a whole little powwow. Yeah, we did. So yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Come yeah. on over, Dusty and Dan in the morning. <laughs> Sirius XM, Channel 84. My favorite idea, and I don't know if this could happen or not. One of them felt like a long shot, but I did see it in one of the articles, was Troy Calhoun from Air Force. Mm. He's, a, he's crushed it there. You wonder if you feel tapped out. And by the way, you're not, you know, it's power four is still a thing. I get there's Super League. But Mountain West is kind of falling behind. Do you have a chance to win there? No. Or um, Jeff Munkin, the head coach in Army. Like, and the reason being, at a place like BC, 
you are never going to be able to compete recruiting NIL market collect like all of it resources where you're going to have a talent a level playing field so if you could go out and get one of those guys to implement a system that helps minimize that gap I think it'd be a way to try to steal some wins and stay relevant and stay bowl eligible and maybe every once in a while you know get eight or nine wins mm-hmm. you know me chip I'm always down to add another option team to the offense but going back to your idea chip Bill Belichick Bill grew up coaching at Navy what did Navy run the option. option Bill returns to college and takes the option with him to Boston College actually the the cover three tailgate was suggesting before the show that my punishment for jinxing this is that I have to go to a Boston College football game <laughs> I will do I'll do a live okay. reaction show from Chestnut Hill of Bill Belichick's running the option with the Eagles next year let's go to the hey, right band get lit yeah, exactly. You can get some great lobster rolls, very chill, <laughs> pregame scene, small, like you don't have to worry about walking very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful campus. Just go in October, like that's when you have to go. Did you see the name that I saw that was on a list was Notre Dame defensive line coach Al Washington, former Boston College player, I did. former Boston College staffer. Like it's going to be hard to lure somebody this to this job. If you can tug on somebody's heartstrings and pull them away from, you know, being a position coach all the way, you skip a couple stops potentially as a coordinator at a better school and get him as the head coach. I think that was one that kind of was like, oh, okay, I hadn't heard that name, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is a job that either ends up with like a retread head coach trying to, you know, get one more shot or it's a young person position coach hoping to jump a couple steps quickly. Um, Jeff Monken came to mind. Uh, Al Washington, as you mentioned, the defensive line coach at Notre Dame. Kyle Flood, former Rutgers coach, who's currently yeah. on the uh, Texas staff right now. You know, would he want to be able to jump back into that with a lot of his experience of understanding the area? Um, and then another one. I've this. There's no sourced, uh, nothing sourced on, on my end. But Jason Candle, Toledo head coach. You know, you've been pretty successful. If you can you sell that to a fan base? Possibly. And a coach with some background in New Hampshire. A coach. Chip. Who? Oh, no, not Chip Kelly. That would be oh. awesome. Okay. Uh, I would be all in on that. I was thinking about Dan Mullen. Here's why. I think Dan Mullen is at a place and having worked with a lot of coaches that had successful careers, some of whom got back in the game, like Mac Brown. But I sat next to him in the studio and we talk a lot about jobs that would come open. I think Dan Mullen's a place where he can be more selective. He doesn't have to take a job just because he wants to coach. I've worked with other coaches who would be desperate for any offer, would sign up for it, say, give me a job now. That's where I don't think Dan Mullen would go here. Even with the ties to the area, been in New England, I don't think he would take it. Ryan Day. I think Dan's very happy doing TV. Yeah. And it'd have to be an enticing offer he didn't leave. Um, The perfect hire is just life is about timing. But I will ask you this. Who would you rather? Play a little game of who would you rather? Would you rather have Boston College head coaching job or James Madison head coaching job? Because that's where Bob Chesney finds himself. He was at Holy Cross. They played Boston College tough last year. It was only, it's within 45 minutes where he was from the school. That to me would have been a very common sense move that would have been a really good hire. Now I did see a report that he's already, and he was, I think, you know, he, he's been in mention for some other jobs, obviously mm-hmm. took James Madison, but he's said he's going to stay at James Madison. Like I'm good here. But like, if you, if you were on the free agent market as a head coach, would you rather have James Madison, the Sun Belt, where you've been a force and you had all this excitement, you had college game day there, or would you rather have Boston college be in the power four, but lower end of the spectrum where it's much harder to win? I would rather have James Madison. It depends on your long-term career goals. Like Kurt Signetti had a ton of success at James Madison and he ended up at Indiana. And you could argue Indiana is the Big Ten's version of Boston College. But Kurt Signetti's also what, in his 60s? Like he's reaching a point where it's like, if he's going to go, he has to go. If I'm in you know, my early 40s and I'm offered both head coaching jobs, I'm looking at James Madison as a place that in the 12-team playoff era, in the Sun Belt, which I think is improving both reputationally and just, you know, as a conference overall, if I'm having success at James Madison, a school that clearly has commitment to its football program and wants to be good at football, I can get a better, I can get an SEC or Big Ten job if I do well enough, if I get a playoff bid or two. If I go to Boston College, 
I am fighting uphill every single day of my time there, just trying to keep up with the ACC and trying to gain traction to get to a bowl game. So I think I have a career-wise, I think I have a higher trajectory possibility at James Madison than I do BC. On February 1st, 2024, my name is James, my name, my answer, my name is James Madison. My answer is James Madison, but if Boston College were in the American Athletic Conference and playing an AAC schedule, I think I could win championships at Boston College. It's like that Oregon State, Washington State. Like, okay, what if you go to the Mountain West? You're going to take a hit into your finances, major, but man, you could, you could run those leagues with your sort of foundation, your built-in tradition, everything that you've got. I I think that if Boston College were not trying, if Boston College were not playing in the same world as Clemson, Florida State, Miami, then Boston College would be my answer. I think as long as that's the case, I I, I want I want winners. I want to be able to win. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not a take the check, take the losses. I want to go find my my pool. I want to find where I fit and I want to win. And I think that that's why James Madison right now would be my answer. I think it's a no brainer. Uh, Boston college also beat the American athletic conference champions SMU in the Fenway mm-hmm. bowl. They so, did very interesting to uh, keep your tabs. On. All right. So yeah, that's right. Our guy, um, we will of course be giving you updates as that moves along. Uh, the athletic director at Boston college. Anybody know what his name is? Blake James, oh. former Miami athletic director. Was Al about, Golden. Yeah, with, <laughs> he fired Al Golden. We were talking about that because you were talking about Al Washington, Al Golden. Like, look at all these Notre Dame assistants that might be able to fit the Boston College like culture or whatever. And it's like, it's I don't. Kiss and make up. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, all right. Coming up on the other side, speaking of all of the you know shifting landscapes of college football, Power five doesn't exist. Does power four make sense? What about power two? We'll get into all that and so much more from the big old bag of mail. Next. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. We enjoy spending some time on Thursdays listening to you. And one of the ways we do it is through the big old bag of mail. So let's open up that mailbag. All right. This first question comes from Plant. Why have we started calling it the Power Four? The name implies the ACC and Big 12 are on the same level as the SEC and the Big 10 when that's clearly not the case. What names should be given to the three tiers that now exist at the FBS level? I was thinking Super 2, the other two, and the rest. Signed, Danny's Bottle of Tapo Chico. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. By the way, Costco, my favorite place. They've, I can only find the plastic version. I can't find the old school glass version of Topo. So I'm on the lookout. I got to find a new supplier. Whole Foods. I ain't doing that. Um, all right. So what do we think? I, you are, man, I tell you what, if you are either Jim Phillips or Brett Yormark, you are doing everything to fight this move. It is the power four. Let's come up with a new logo. Let's pitch it that way because I totally agree with the question. You know, it probably should be the super league and then, and friends would be everybody else, but you need to fight this as much as you can just for the perception uh, of the entire college football world. Getting on the phone with Mike Oresco. How do we do it? How do we keep it going? Yeah. Um, I do think power four is, is not really accurate. I I feel like the Big Ten and SEC are on a very different playing field right now than the ACC and Big 12. But I also feel like the ACC and Big 12 are still on a very different playing field than the group of five. So I don't know what we would go with. I I don't think Super 2 is a terrible name for it, but I I feel like you could just go with, you know, the 1%, the middle class, and the poors. That's what I would go with. (laughs) So, all right, the reason that I think that the ACC and the Big 12 in terms of like 
politics and power and all those other things will still have a greater say is that they are, according to the media networks, still being treated much differently at the mm -hmm. bank than the other conferences. Uh, Ryan says the Super 2 and the Jag Plus 2. Not a bad. Not That's bad. great. That's but they're not treated the same as the Big Ten and SEC. But when they're doing the college football playoff commit, like when they're when all the commissioners are getting together and they're trying to figure out the future of the college football playoff, there's no doubt that Greg Sankey, in my read on this, Greg Sankey's the biggest voice in that room. And a lot of that is because uh, Tony Petiti just got there, right? So Sankey's got longevity. Andy's also got power. Like that's that's the one who's probably running the show. But the the way that the college football playoff was constructed initially you had those bigger payouts going to those power conferences. So the media networks were breaking off a different piece for those power conferences. And the, um, the college football playoff was breaking off a bigger piece to those power conferences and less for the smaller conferences. The new college football playoff era opens it up for debate. But I think that as long as we still have those differences in in the bank account, as lame as it is, um, I, I think that that will always be the dividing line and the ACC and the Big 12 are closer to the Big 10 and the SEC than they are to everybody else. Yeah. And it's it's like high school football. You know, like every state has different classes based on like the size of the student population. We could do that for college. You can have different classes based on the size of your athletic budget. The other thing is while we are only focused on college football, those conference commissioners and all these different things. And yes, it brings in way more revenue and way more eyeballs. But I mean, Big 12 basketball, like the Big 12 is not going to be like not considered a major conference in college basketball. No, but they, that already exists. Like you have, I think college basketball has what? The big six? They, like yeah, the, they call it high major conferences. If yeah. any of the high major conferences. And like the Big East is in that. The Big right. 12 is in that. So I, I, I still think the, yeah, the difference is you could go with the Super 2 or whatever the heck you end up calling them in college football and still have a completely different kind of tier in basketball. All right, let's do this next. Um, do you think there's uh, there's no chance we get a name redone before the next two years, right? No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Not until the Big Ten and SEC are finished raiding the ACC. <laughs> That's right. uh, all right. Yeah, this this actually we're we're just waiting until the lawsuit is completed. So mm -hmm. we got about two years of waffling and uh then we'll figure out what we're calling everything. Speaking of what we're calling everything, this one um comes from username just want football. Uh mailbag question. Once conference realignment takes effect, and I think that the question is saying like this summer, once conference realignment takes effect, SEC schools will have 16 Big 12 football championships. And the Big 12 schools will hold four. So 16 Big 12 titles and four Big 12 titles. And that includes, That's a great stat. That includes Colorado's. So should the Big 12 rebrand to reset itself as a new conference that Brett Yormark and the members can independently be proud of? Or is it more valuable to keep a name that is historically associated with the two Blue Bloods, even if those schools... And their 16 Big 12 titles aren't even in the conference anymore. I can't begin to pretend I understand brand value. Like, I, I hear it constantly, but I also think, okay, if you change the name, is it really, are people really going to stop paying attention to you because you're no longer the Big 12 and now you're whatever you are? Like, does, does the Big 12 brand really have that much value to you? So I don't know if they need to, but I do think that in this era where we've seen so much realignment, I don't think it would be the worst thing. I just don't know if you need to do it. So to me, it feels like if you kind of really want a fresh start, you could. But I would probably wait a few years before doing it because for the same reason we just talked about with the Super 2 thing, I would make sure the dust is finally and completely as well as you can expect settled before making any major decisions. But this I've is a very Brett Yormark kind of question. This is something that I know that man is thinking about. Absolutely, he's thinking about. I have two suggestions. One, I think, is really bad because you could come back with one true champion. Remember that? And they had co-champions the first year that they rebranded the conference, the conference of one true champion. Uh, or the Brett Yormark model, 
you go the Big 12 brought to you by WWE. Who's playing for the belt? And then you break that out. You bring it to every huge game. You put it on the sideline. Team gets to lift it up after the game. And then the ultimate prize is the belt, Big 12 championship belt. Uh, but maybe like there's got to be some better title for the conference if it's brought to you by WWE. Go with the Heartland Conference. College oh. football raw. I, I listen. The Cover Three tailgates dropping some Southwest Conference. Bring it back. When you consider that we are bringing the Arizona schools in, like, yeah, but you've also got like Cincinnati, West Virginia, <laughs> UCF. That's not. It's not really what I would call Southwest. Although I guess you know, not even Orlando. That's more in the Northwest of Florida. So yeah, that coast work. to coast, they just need a West Coast school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't hate the idea. And again, like terrific stat that. 16 Big 12 titles are in the SEC. <laughs> How many schools are in the league? Yeah, now Six. it's 18. You can just go to the Big 18. Like, you used to be the Big 8 anyway. And then the Big 8 and the SWC merged. You became the Big 12. Now the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have kind of merged. Go to the Big 18. <laughs> Crazy. I love At least then, it, like, you could make fun of the other conferences for being unable to count. Like, the Big 10's got 18 teams, but they're not changing their number anytime soon. So you can, like, look at these idiots. At least we can count. This one is this what you were looking for? The more that's pretty funny. The more American, it should be the more American American Athletic Conference. I would only add another American just for effect. AAC plus, Jag and Jag plus. All right, the more American Athletic Conference, the action coming to you every single Saturday uh, on FS1. Oh man, flyover conference would be another good one. I mean, it's that hurts. Pretty- that's, pr- that's pretty good right there. All right, this one, let's see. From the uh, early today, as soon as the, the stream went live, our guy Daniel jumped in and had a, a good good little memory bank question. We all know elite players that people love. Who are all-time college football players that you loved, but honestly, just weren't that good, but you had to cheer for them? Hmm. I didn't have time to prep for this. I didn't know we were getting this, but the first name that Listen, comes I, to mind. Wait, what? I was like, that's, I think that's good. You know? And the first name that comes to mind is Chucky Keaton, former Utah State quarterback, who I absolutely loved, who was never anybody you were going to confuse for an elite player. But he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. They had a whole campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting some stuff from him. Does Taysom Hill count? Because, I mean, now he's playing in the NFL and he's a pretty useful player for the Saints, but. At BYU, he was, I'll never forget him running all over Texas. I had Art Sitkowski come to mind. (laughs) I cheered so hard for Art Sitkowski. (laughs) And and he gave me like a couple games, you know, where he just ascended to a higher plane and saw the field. It was like the Matrix out there. But buddy, it was was not not always that great. Somebody hey, said he's currently Eric an Crouch. assistant for Illinois. The dude won the Heisman. Yeah, no, Eric Crouch <laughs> was. It may still stand. I don't know, but he did win a Heisman. <laughs> oh, the hefty lefty's a great one. Yeah, Lorenzen was great. Um, <laughs> this this doesn't count because it's also a homer pick, so I would have rooted for him either way. But Nathan Shieldhouse is always somebody who I thought was a very good college player. Didn't get nearly enough credit. Let's see. That's a great one. James Blackman. I remember I I talked to him. I covered him. He was, he put everything on the line for his team. He played tough, but man, did he struggle to get it done. He got crushed. Yeah. I broke him. And he'd get up, keep coming back. Yeah. That's, that was the, um, not the beginning, or maybe it was the beginning of the, where all of a sudden we were looking at that offensive line and it was a thing for, you know, end of Jimbo, all of Willie Taggart and like, you know, really up until just this past season or last season that we feel like Florida State fixed it. He he was he took the punishment of an offensive line that did not have enough dudes that was not playing well enough to be able to protect him at all. Steven Garcia. Ooh. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Steven Garcia and Connor Shaw, just South Carolina quarterbacks. No, just Garcia. Okay. Connor Shaw, I don't really have any affinity for, but Steven Steven was just, you know. He was that wild card. Remember, uh, like the Houston quarterbacks, uh, David Klingler. Remember that he yeah. used to light him mm-hmm. up, and he. I think I went when I was in high school. Went down. I think he played Miami, 
And they were like leading the country in yardage and points. And then they got smoked by the Hurricanes. I was like, oh, what happened to that offense? Oh, it was shut down pretty quickly. Oh, hold on, hold on. Do, do y'all remember Carlisle Holiday? Yeah, Notre Dame. You know that was the trick in NCAA football back in the day? You'd put him at quarterback. Oh, really? Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd move Carlisle Holiday to quarterback, and then all of a sudden, you just you were unstoppable. And it was just good enough of a thrower, even though his throwing rating was like, you know, 50 or whatever. But, um, it was just enough that when somebody overloaded with the blitz, you'd be able to make them pay. Aaron Murray, nah, Aaron Murray was a good, good. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think that this, this is somebody that you're rooting for that, you know, you, you understand that he's not the, the best player on the field, but you're looking for him to be successful. This is kind of morphing into remember that quarterback, but another one who's kind of currently still playing. Hey, hey. <laughs> Charlie, is that Charlie Ward in the chat? Just <laughs> oh. Wasn't it? They're not that good. <laughs> uh, Daniel Richardson, who was at FAU this year, he'd been at Central Michigan, just my little favorite fire hydrant quarterback. Yeah, that's that, that's a really good one right there. Um, I, anyway, keep them coming in, uh, in the cover three tailgate. We love it. And of course, you know, we appreciate your, your questions. Uh, you jump in, get a good question, get, get some people going. Uh, we love being able to highlight it, especially here on a Thursday coming up on the other side, going back to the big old bag of mail. We got a, we got a Penn state fan. He's got some questions about his Nittany lions. We'll get into that and some more team specific stuff next back here on the cover three podcast as you know we dive into that big old bag of mail you leave us a five-star review put your question in there we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode we've had a a couple of questions on this topic come in uh the one i'm grabbing is from benjamin benjamin says far and away my favorite and most listened to podcast across any platforms you guys have gotten me through a ton of long commutes and workouts i found the show in 2018 r.i.p barton and i've rarely missed an episode since Y'all are super knowledgeable about the game, but also cut it up, cut up like I would with my boys. My question is about Penn State. I was soaking up all the hype going into last season, only to be let down after losses to Ohio State and Michigan. I've heard nothing but good things about Andy Kotelnicki. That's their new offensive coordinator. And you guys have been raving about the Kansas offense for the past two to three years. What makes him so unique? And could he find success where so many offensive coordinators have fallen short at Penn State since Joe Moorhead left in 2017? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. To me, it's hard to answer the what has kept Penn State back because for a while, you know, it was always quarterback. And then this year, I do feel like they had a more talented quarterback but did not have the vertical throughout the passing game that they needed. And it just really kind of made them play offense with one hand tied behind their back. And I also think that their offensive line, like when it comes to competing at that top level, you need to be really strong along the line of scrimmage. And I think Penn State year after year has done very good on the defensive line. On the offensive line, I felt they've left a lot to be desired most years. Even this year with Olu Fashanu at left tackle, I thought he was very good, but the rest of that line was kind of, you know, okay. It wasn't great, wasn't bad, but it wasn't national title caliber. So I think that's one area they need to improve. The good news is with Nicky coming in, what I find interesting about his offenses is the consistent ability, both with their protection schemes and the way that they block in the run game, to get huge gaps. Like, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't understand it enough to really figure it out. But when I watch, there's always a huge gap in the run game available that they can exploit and get a, get a big explosive in. I mean they've been really good and really consistent at it for a long time. So I think if you bring that to Penn State, it could help the running game a lot, which will help everything. And it could help maybe cover for an offensive line that is not what I consider outstanding because it's not like Kansas has had incredible offensive lines. It's not like Buffalo had an incredible offensive line. But time and time again, they were able to get those lanes. So that that's the one thing that's going to be interesting to me. Um, What do we consider top tier of college football. Well, I, so I, I think Penn State's got to win games against other top tier teams. Was it James Franklin's three and 17 against top 10 teams? Like what, what's it's preventing the Ohio State, Michigan, um, 
you know, two of the best teams in college football. That but have like, if you want to be on yeah. the top tier, win games against top teams. Like, no one takes, uh, no one takes a a program or a team or or a coach seriously until you show up in the biggest games and you go win them. And that's I. That's not saying that James Franklin cannot. And like you mentioned, the opposition has been like running so hot, but that's. That's the ceiling. The ceiling is you got to go win those games against the very best teams, and then we'll start talking about you differently. So I think there's one huge change coming that's going to change the perception of Penn State. Because what we're talking about all the teams that get to the playoffs, they can't get there because it's been four. They'll probably, I mean, well, they need to, it's going to not get any easier because you have these four teams coming in. But I do think the 12-team playoff is a setup that helps a program like Penn State dramatically. Specifically on the how do they get there? Um, I mean, they're close. It's almost like you have to get through this wall. I do think, like, when was the last time they had a a true game changer at quarterback? You know, game managers all the rage now. That conversation the debate that's going around with Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. It does feel like they or a Jag Plus, like they've had really good quarterbacks, but not the guy that could just get them over the hump. Um. And then, you know, the offensive coordinators, they've been through a few of those too, but I don't know if that's the difference. But I do think Colt Nicky will help that, you know, but I do think it's probably, they're not that far away. I mean, they're in a really good position. And look, you get to the playoff, you know what that's going to provide? An opportunity to beat one of the best teams in college football. Right. You know, like you get to the playoff, you win a game. You know, you get to the playoff and maybe you win two games. Maybe you go first round quarterfinals and show up in the semis. But Winning games against the best teams in college football are how you change your reputation in terms of whether or not you are deserving to be in that top tier of college football. I think I think James Franklin is running a really, really strong program. The wins, the New Year's Six Bowl appearances, you know, like you've got this long list of accomplishments, but that record stands out. And I think that that's... Mm-hmm. Um, contributes to the overall narrative around the Nittany Lions. I want to deliver a definitive take, Ooh. change of subject, something Danny oh. brought up, the hot topic, Brock Purdy. Think what you want of Brock Purdy. I don't care where you rank. Call him top five, call him top 10, call him top 15, call him bottom 15 quarterback in the NFL. You can't call him a game manager because game managers don't take the kind of stupid risks that Brock Purdy takes. On a weekly basis, he makes some throws every single game. You're like, what the hell are you thinking? Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't call him a playmaker, call him an idiot, call him whatever you want. But you can't call him a game manager because game managers don't throw back over the middle with a rainbow to the guy in middle of coverage. Game managers just check down. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Good job. Nothing, Nothing wrong with being a game manager. Nothing wrong with being a game manager. No, especially if you're winning the game, managing it. No. Yeah. You're a manager. I need a new term, though. It's like Peyton Manning, I think, was the best game manager of all time. Yes. Like, but why is it a why is it a negative? Like, why is it an insult to be called a game manager? But I do understand where it's like you're not Superman, like Patrick Mahomes, who can just take over games. But there needs to be a new term we need to invent for guys doesn't, like Brock Purdy. But does, doesn't Patrick Mahomes have some game manager? To yeah, him? Like, every good quarterback has. You have to. He doesn't make mistakes. Right. Yeah, like that's was it uh, six touchdowns, zero interceptions in in playoff games or something. I mean, again, not thirty three touchdowns, three interceptions. That was before last week. Thirty three touchdowns, games. three inter- in just playoff games alone. Absurd. That's so stupid. He's stupid. okay. He's okay. Yeah, that's I. I don't know. Brock Purdy hits on eighteen. Brock Brock Purdy in Vegas at a blackjack table going into Super Bowl. I'd love to see how he plays. It's probably making everybody else at the table furious. Pat Patrick Mahomes is like the Steph Curry of football in that all of a sudden when Steph Curry and the Splash Brothers hit, all these kids were just doing nothing but chucking up threes from half court all the time. And now with Patrick Mahomes, it's all these kids are trying to make every throw with terrible footwork and they don't understand that Caleb, or Patrick Mahomes is different like you see every quarterback doing it now it's like i'm gonna throw with my foot off my back foot fading backwards it's like no no they, that guy can do it you can't i'm anyway, just glad that uh that, that patrick patrick mahomes is uh really embracing dad bod season you know and uh, you know getting getting out there and, and and proudly you know 
re resharing the uh the those of us who who don't really have the uh the six pack it's further back in the fridge mm-hmm. gotta look for it anyway i've been watching a lot of qb tape if you can't tell and the footwork is just what are we, oh, what the are footwork we, what across all because you're watching college you're watching college tape from this past season right i got i don't know if you know this but the bears have the number one pick so i have to uh, you know, I you know, I have to do the work. I have to figure out what the best option is. And just okay. some of that footwork just driving me out of my mind. All right, let's dive back into the big old bag of mail. Uh, hit, hit another question or two before we get out of here. This one comes from Ray G. Ray says, hey, guys, a few shows ago, Chip said he thought LSU was trending more towards the middle blob in the new SEC. I respectfully disagree with this. Go Tigers. But would like to get all you guys' thoughts about LSU's place in the new SEC. While the 2024 recruiting class wasn't top-tier SEC standards, 2025 is looking elite so far, and the recent defensive staff hires have me optimistic that side of the ball will be better next year and beyond. Parentheses, can't be worse. Oh, yeah, and we don't have to deal with Saban anymore. Praise emoji. Uh, The homer in me says LSU will be a perennial top three team in the sec for the foreseeable future and brian kelly will win a national championship in the next five years thanks guys ray g from new orleans i think lsu is an annual playoff contender with national title ceiling which is what it already is i don't think lsu changes much yeah (laughs) they haven't always pre-saban LSU well, no, was an LSU in the but modern era. Last twenty-five years. Yes, twenty-first century LSU has enough uh, talent on that roster that almost anybody could go take that job and win a national championship. History has shown that almost anybody can go win a title in Baton Rouge. Um, what do you? But what do you? What do you guys think? Top three SEC for the foreseeable future. Well, see, here's the thing I do think about LSU. They have the tendency to throw every once in a while a seven and five in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like so perennial top three, probably, but they could have a bumpy ride to get there, you know, and there could be some some concern about Brian Kelly. Wait a second. He said he wanted to go to Michigan. Is he on the hot seat this season? And then they come back the next year. He makes a couple changes to the staff, brings in a transfer quarterback, and they're one of the best teams of all time. Like they're just, I think they're the consistency may not be there, but I they'll absolutely be at the top top tier of the sec yeah I, I think if you rank it as like an attractiveness of the job it's top three in the sec annually like it's you know georgia is the top job in the sec it's it's got the infrastructure it has the local talent lsu has a lot of the same things that's why it's won so many national titles and you remember like barton used to mention it chip every single high school in the state of louisiana is wearing gold and yellow and they're called the tigers it's like yeah, it is, it is purple. You show up to the Superdome for the state championships for the Louisiana and everybody's the Tigers and everybody's got purple and gold. You, you yeah. are you are brainwashing an entire state to feed the best football players at to Louisiana State University. And you have a ton of talent in that state. So to me, it's a top three job in the SEC, which I think means if from maybe not exactly what the question was asking, but I think that's kind of just. Yeah, it's one of the top jobs in the league. Well, see, I think it's interesting with the expanded SEC because we can say easily top three, but I I don't think it's cracking top two. And then like maybe not job. Let's go team. I I think Georgia and Texas, as they are currently constructed under Kirby Smart and Steve Sarkeesian, are your top two. And now LSU is fighting with an Alabama, with a Tennessee, with maybe an Ole Miss. Like they they are occupying that that space where if top three is our cutoff. I don't know if LSU automatically goes into every single season and we're talking about them like a number one or a number two. I think that this is, I mean, didn't we pick LSU to win the SEC West this year? Not we, but like the SEC media as a whole, Jaden Daniels coming back after last season. Um, you know, and then they let Florida State absolutely torch them in the second half of their season opener. Things got a little bit shaky after that, but like, uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of in the, yes, top half. 100%, maybe even top third of this 16-team conference. But, you know, I think they are more fighting for three with other very capable programs than they are making a case for number one. Chip hates LSU. I love LSU. I t- Look, I got purple and gold too, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Need him be Bryant High School. Come on. Ron, high I, just love, I just love sports. Mahoney just chimed in with 
what could spin us off into another 15 minutes. Texas is better than LSU to me. Oh, boy. Get ready for all those conversations because they're coming. And what? I cannot wait to see what Greg Sankey decides to do with his horns down policy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll you know, uh, show. Our, well, our, our friend Gary Parrish on the Iron College Basketball Podcast, he's just decided that it should replace the middle finger. And not only be a like Texas related thing. Somebody, right. somebody cuts you off in traffic. Horns yeah. down. Horns do down. You. <laughs> Just start walking around throwing horns down to people. Again, listen to the Ion College basketball podcast. They uh they they do it better than anybody else in that sport. And uh I like that suggestion. So I'm going around Raleigh now, just throwing horns down instead of middle fingers. I like it. Um, all right, let's see. You wanna do let's do a quickie. Will let's buy a dollar, huh? Sorry, nothing. Okay, all right. Uh, short and sweet. This is from the five star big old bag of mail. User crystal ball. Will Billy Napier be the coach of the Florida Gators at the start of the 2025 season? Simple yes or no will suffice. Tim Anderson, no, he won't be the coach of Florida at the end of the 2024 season, let alone the start of 2025. Yeah, that was, I think. It's essentially what the question is. We know Bud's opinion. He's made it uh, well-known. I have to agree. It almost feels like, why didn't you do it this year? Mm-hmm. You know. And I've talked to Andy Staples, former Florida Gator, You know, works with On3 now, friend of the show. He was saying, man, you wonder if they could have had Jed Fish this season, which I do think they could have. And coming off of him while he's hot, had him come and through some, you know, or brought some enthusiasm to the program, you know, refresh the collective where, it has got to be a hard place. And as evidenced by the recruiting trail and the portal, it's hard to attract players when almost everybody's saying the same thing, including coaches who are recruiting against you. Being like, are you sure you want to go there? Because he's probably not going to be there. It is a rough spot to be in for Billy Napier. Yeah, the schedule is brutal. And hiring a new coach and sending them into that 2024 schedule would have set them back worse than just letting it flame out and start over. Um yeah, I'm going to say new head coach for the Florida Gators in 2025. Maybe it's Bill Belichick. We, we don't ritualistically sacrifice people to the gods anymore, but Florida is sacrificing Billy Napier to the 2024 schedule. We only do that to Pop-Tarts now. Correct. <laughs> Toast that tart. Toast that tart. That tart. <laughs> All right, we will be back on Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come and hang out, and you can Follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.